Welcome back. Welcome to Depressed and Shit, a podcast that, what the fuck do we do? A, a podcast that elevates conversations about mental health as lived by everyday people, especially centered around stories experienced during this utter shitstorm of the pandemic. Yes, the headlines are in, folks. It's a shitstorm. It's real. <laughs> if it wasn't before, it definitely is now. Yes, I'm your host, Leah Matta, and I am so stoked to share today's episode with you because we somehow managed to cover so much in a 30-minute span. And well, actually, in real life, we talked for a fucking hour and a half. So congrats on getting the director's cut, I guess. I'll have to start a Patreon someday and offer you the uncut episodes. Today's episode covers the concept of self-talk, both negative and positive versions of it. We give you both because it is a spectrum, just like many other corners of mental health. We also cover my other, other than mental health, my other absolute favorite topic, which is gender. I love hearing people's experiences with gender and stories with gender so that I can expand my own understanding of it and and continue to shed myself of learned cisnormative assumptions that I have both about myself and other people. So, okay, this is on topic. Before I tell you more about the episode, I was telling today's depressed guest about an instance that I had recently. So I'm currently working as a tutor and the other week I was with my second grader. We got to the pronouns chapter in the grammar book. And I had to sort of like out loud break down what he and she stood for from the lens of a second grader in like a really austere and I mean, I guess, honestly, stereotypical way. This is how it felt on the inside. Help me. Someone fucking help me. Real talk, though. It was a real mindfuck for me. Like, the internal pain. What is the right age to roll out the concept of personal pronouns? Like, beyond he and she. When are you supposed to do that? And I'm not even a parent. I'm just a freaking tutor. I'm a hired tutor. And also, what the fuck does he and she even mean? I'm perpetually asking myself these questions and melting my face off over them and then spiraling on the podcast, apparently, as it turns out. So anyway, back to the episode. <laughs> Breathe. So today's depressed guest, his name is Jamie Hawkinsmith. He is a, well, first of all, he's great. I'm a huge fan. He is a Chicago-based musician with an emphasis on percussion. He's an educator, a CrossFit enthusiast, and as you'll hear, he's also been transitioning since the spring of last year. Now, I feel especially excited to say this right now because, so I'm recording this on Tuesday, December 1. I just heard maybe an hour ago that Elliot Page came out publicly today as trans in a really inspiring way and a really conscious way that aimed to combat trans discrimination and violence. And I see that reflected in Jamie's story today as well. This is just another reminder for me, for you, that we, all of us, the collective, we have so much more work to do to combat violence against our trans community members, especially Black and Latinx trans women who disproportionately experience the highest 
levels of violence. It's all just empathy, man. Society has so much work to do on its collective empathy. Jamie's candid thoughts on self-talk are really touching. His sort of ups and downs in his relationship to himself in the past two years, and he offers us a really great arsenal of strategies to combat negative self-talk. And like, go ahead, fucking steal him. I don't think Jamie would mind. In fact, I think he'd eat that up. <laughs> Next week, we hear from an actual clinician. It's happening, y'all. All this time, I have been so intimidated to talk to an actual mental health licensed clinician on the show, and it's finally happening. She's an actual fan of the show. I'm so humbled, and she has so much to say about pandemic-era telehealth. It is so interesting to hear from someone on the other side of the screen as far as telehealth goes. So stay tuned for that. Hey, if you vibe with this series, please, you can do it right now. Open your Apple Podcasts app, scroll down, and click those five little purple stars. Help us get a little more visibility and get these conversations out to more people that could benefit from them. But enough of that business shit. Here's <laughs> Jamie Hawkinsmith, y'all. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad um, to be here. I'm glad too. So I'm glad because I'm so excited to announce that I have finally graduated from interviewing people I know. And you, Jamie, are the first guest on Depressed and Shit that I am learning about at about the same rate as the listeners. So this is like a big milestone in the history of wow. Depressed and Shit. <laughs> So based on the tiny amount you've shared with me so far, it sounds to me like your mental health and your understanding of it, your experience of it is really interwoven into the different aspects of your daily life, your musicianship, your teaching, um, the CrossFit community. And all of the things I just named have been completely overturned over the course of the pandemic, right? Just a little bit. <laughs> just a little, it's safe to say. So let's get some nuts and bolts. So you teach K through five music, right? Yes. All online through Google Meet. It's uh, it's a time. <laughs> oh, so you haven't been teaching in person at all? No, I have not. I do have family members of mine that teach. Both my sisters and my dad are all teachers. Um, my dad started the year remote, which I was super grateful for because he's in his 60s, has pre-existing conditions and just had a knee replacement. So I'm like, please keep this man safe. Um, wow, you and... come from a family of teachers little bit. <laughs> so you're spending a colossal amount of time on your screen right now, right? Trying to convince kindergartners to focus on music. Oh my goodness. It's a good time. They're so sweet though. The way that our lessons are set up, it's 46 minutes total, but the first 25 minutes is the direct lesson teaching. And then the last 20 to 21 minutes is like asynchronous where the kids can stay on with me if they want to like show me their dog or just look at a face that's not their family. <laughs> okay. So, and all of that being said, you're also going through a pretty major and celebratory, I would say life adjustment right now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I am a transgender man. I'm in my second year on uh, hormone replacement therapy, and I've just been 
enjoying every you know, roller coaster wave that comes with. <laughs> and I mean, for me, I've been enjoying all of your really fun and transparent posts right before you're about to stick a needle in your body. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I used to do, so I do my um, testosterone treatment by injection once a week. For those that are listening, there's, you know, multiple ways to administer HRT. I'm not familiar with estrogen. But for the testosterone methods, there are two methods of injection. One of them is intramuscular, which is if you ever get a vaccine, which y'all should, um, that's <laughs> like the shot that goes into your muscle that's sore after a while. Um, I used to do that into my thigh muscle, which was, you know, super fun. It's a longer needle. Um, and I had to make sure that like I was well hydrated and well fed and just did it at the end of my day so that my body would be like ready for that. The other method is subcutaneous, which is done just underneath the skin layer into the subcutaneous fat layer. It's a much shorter needle. The only pain that you feel is like a teeny tiny pinch when it goes in. I'm always surprised every week because I think, oh my God, it's a needle. And then I do it and I'm like, oh, I can't even feel it. Mm -hmm. So that's what I switched to now. And then the other methods, other people do gel, which you can administer like on your forearm, on your upper arm. Oh, so, like, onto so it's kind or... of like a topical lotion. Yes. Oh, interesting. Um, I'd never heard of that one. And there was another one I just learned about that's a cream that another trans guy that I follow does a cream that he puts on his forearm and it takes much less time to dry and it makes his levels a lot more stable as well just based on like how your body absorbs it. That's so interesting. I mean, from my uneducated self, it seems to me like a topical cream would be unreliable, but I don't know. Science is a miracle these days. It really is. I think maybe when I get tired of needles, I might For switch sure. to the cream. Yeah, That's so probably on the horizon. <laughs> so let's see. You came out last year in 2019. Yes. Had you been out privately to maybe a few people in your life? I came out to my family initially right around my 26th birthday. I'd been talking with my middle sister a lot about just my experience with gender. I started playing with like masculine clothing back when I was in college. So mm -hmm. it was kind of like a multi-year crescendo that I didn't realize was headed towards me figuring out that I was really just living in the wrong gender, which is pretty, you know, it's pretty cool to feel like this is a huge monumental thing. And then I look back and I'm like, actually, it's not surprising at all. <laughs> that, the Your eventual realization was not surprising? <laughs> no. And I told my sisters first over the phone, since all of us live in different places. Right. And both of them said, we love you. We're not surprised. Tell us what's next. And I was like, <laughs> Cool. Thanks, fam. Did you want some surprise at least? I mean, I don't know. Not really. Cause like right. those situations are so unpredictable and so scary that yes, you would hope. Yes. Cause like, I mean, you hear it all the time that it's people when they come out as anything that's not cis puts them in an immense amount of danger. Like they can be cut off from their family. They can lose their living situations. They can lose their jobs. And you felt that danger? A little bit remembering what it was like coming out 
I guess, less informed times, like when I was growing up in the late 90s and early to mid 2000s, there just wasn't as much visibility for LGBT people and especially understanding LGBT kids. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, people still think it's a phenomenon that just happens upon you when you're an adult. And it's just, that's so not true. Have you ever wondered if there was more representation and more sort of widespread acceptance of it when you were younger, you might've come to the realization earlier in life? Absolutely. I I mean, you're not old, you're still extremely young, but (laughs) this is true. (laughs) (laughs) So then you, you started transitioning, at least from my perspective, pretty soon after coming out. Yeah. Yes. Um, I came out in February 2019, and I started tea on May 10th, 2019. So has your sort of, hmm, has your relationship to your transition changed from transitioning to a lockdown lifestyle? I think it allowed me a lot more time to really slow down and process and Mm. sit with all of the changes that were there instead of having to compartmentalize that to accommodate a work day. Yeah, I was just going to say, you must have, like me, just been extremely distracted by work and socializing pre-pandemic because I've come to so many self-realizations over the course of the past few months. So yeah, let's talk about, I guess, your relationship with yourself. You used two phrases before this interview started, self-talk and self-parenting. They both seem to be very present realities in your life. I guess self-talk, let's start with that one, tending to be the one that leans more negatively. Absolutely. I feel like it's common that people tend to be hypercritical of themselves and kind of use themselves as a mental punching bag, if you will, especially when things aren't going right or if things are challenging. Have there been recent past experiences for you working with some negative self-talk? Definitely leading up to being out as trans, my negative talk used to be really negative and critical and more like self-bullying, if you will, especially I noticed it the most when I was trying to like practice. I'm a percussionist. So I was trying to like practice pieces that weren't going so well. It would be a nightmare in that practice room. Has Mm. that kind of changed for you? Absolutely. Um, I think it was spring of 2019. So it was between being out and between starting hormones. I went through this realization, like I remember there were actually two moments. The first one was when I was in my classroom in CPS and it was like the last 10 minutes before another class was coming and my room was ready. So I just had time to sit there and stare at the floor. Mm -hmm. And I just real, you know, and I just realized like my body is going to be mine for the Mm. first time in my life, like it's going to be mine in the way I need it. And I like, I don't remember if I fell onto a chair or fell onto my knees or fell onto a table. I just had to be like sitting because my knees gave out at that realization. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. And this was like 10 minutes before I got to see my terrifying high school. (laughs) (laughs) The shittiest age. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. So I had to, exactly. So I had to like have that, dump all that out and then suck it all back up and welcome in the students that were, yeah. So there was that. And then the other realization was um, when I was mid-workout at my gym and Mm -hmm. it was getting really difficult. And it was getting to the point where I was about to start going back into that pattern of, come on, let me pick up the barbell. You're so like, you're so much better than this, yada, yada, yada. And I just, I started to go into that. And my 
subconscious became present and like stopped that cold and said, you get to be nice to your body now. That's amazing. Where did you develop those skills just through self-work? I had probably, because I follow like a lot of other accounts on Instagram that are like their Oracle of your soul posts, a lot of like positive messages and things like that. Right. Yeah. I think inadvertently, I had definitely been absorbing other stuff that I've been watching and seeing. I was also mid-therapy at the time. I was seeing a therapist that I first started seeing for like workplace-related depression. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that I was going to come out as trans, I, I think the language I used was the older I get, the less female I feel. Um, And he flat out said, he's like, I don't know how to help you. And that usually would be a scary thing. But I was like, well, of course not. I didn't seek you out for gender counseling. Like that's, that makes sense, man. And so he supported me in finding a gender counselor who was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, found her number and set that up with her. And I had two therapists then at the time. So I was learning how to be mindful. And the techniques that my first therapist taught me were that any feelings that you're entrenched in that are really intense that you start to like get self-critical about, he suggested pulling back and just looking at those feelings like they're in a fish tank. And Mm -hmm. not asking why or how, just identifying the what. Like, that's anger that I'm feeling. Look at it, it's from about and it's angry redness. There's sadness, look how blue it is. My counseling class, I have four different teachers and uh, one of them is, I'm 30 and I I think he's 30 or perhaps even 29, you know, like maybe even like younger than me, but he's my superior, like my mentor. And I found him on Instagram yesterday because I'm a fucking creep. And I was like... Am I like, am I like crossing some lines? Like, am I like breaking a boundary here? (laughs) You know, like when you first start dating someone, for example, Mm -hmm. and you're like, I don't know if I should look them up on Instagram yet. I feel like 90% of the time you do anyway, but you're like, maybe I shouldn't because I should wait to learn these things about them organically. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Anyway, I hear you. That's a tangent. That was so funny. You had also shared that there was a podcast episode called My Favorite Murder that had some advice on self-talk. Now I looked it up and I was confused because it's a crime podcast, right? So how yes. the fuck does a crime podcast give offer advice on self-talk? <laughs> so the two, it's two women, they investigate murders. And in conjunction with that, they also talk a lot about mental health. What is their advice on self-talk? So one of the techniques that one of their therapists had given them was that when you start to get really negative and really like vicious and bullying with your inner self-talk, imagine that you're saying all those same things, but to like the five-year-old you, would you talk that way to a five-year-old? Like, yeah, it flipped the whole thing for me. And I think she said that it made her cry because she was like, oh my God, why do I talk to myself this way? That's so awful. That's so intense. I mean, the first thing for me that's coming to mind are the things that I say to myself about my body when I look in the mirror, especially, mm. I mean, I, I bitch so much cause I, I'm like a fucked up person, but I've put on a little bit of weight during the pandemic, but honestly not that much. But when I look in the mirror, I get so angry at myself. So now I'm going through this image in my head of seeing, yeah, my five-year-old self saying you've gotten so fat like no yeah that is really moving damn 
Yeah, it's completely like it was both my mind going, you can be nice to yourself now. And when this bubbles back up, imagine you're saying it to five year old you. Yeah, it also um, makes the content of whatever negative thing you were going to say feel so trivial. Yeah, it really does. And that has completely like flipped how I relate to myself mentally, especially when things get difficult. And I noticed it the most during the spring and summer we were all in quarantine because I quarantined back at my parents' house. Oh, you did? Okay. Yes. That's interesting to me because we agreed that we were going to spend some time talking about self-parenting. So first of all, I suppose, can you just offer us your definition of self-parenting, what you consider it to be? So for me, self-parenting was... It happened through being able to reimagine my own self-talk and how I get myself through things that are really, really challenging. It's really learning how to be compassionate towards yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like when people think about self-care, they think about ways to give yourself an easy out or be like, you don't have to work as hard. Most definitely. Or like use your money to buy something that will make you feel better. But for me, like it's deeper than that. And it's a little more self-accountable than that. It's more so, well, recognizing when you fall apart that it's okay and understanding how to pick yourself back up, remind yourself that you can heal, push yourself into healing and be able to pick yourself back up off the ground. Mm. Wow. And, that's, that's yeah. major. That's a, like a large concept you just rolled out. Yeah. For me, it came down to telling myself the things that I needed to hear from the adults around me when I was at the age I needed them. Oh, Right. My most recent moment, it's its most present when I'm in a workout. The temptation to tell yourself, you can't do that because you're tired. I was in the middle of a workout sequence that had a lot of reps of a movement that I had heavier weight than I was anticipating. I was about to like drop the barbell and just fully panic, but I like stopped in the middle of it and just told myself like, I know you're scared you're stronger than you think you are. Breathe and brace your core and just slow down the reps. And then I knocked out 10 more and it was fine. Fuck yeah. <laughs> with the queer and the trans community, it's hyper present with us because it's sort of being able to be out and transitioning. It's showing yourself a mercy that you've been looking for your whole life. And mm -hmm you're the only one going through your experience and therefore you're the only one that really understands it. And it's like, you finally get to identify with how your body and your mind really work together. Mm -hmm. And it's a chance to finally really understand what it means to love yourself and not in a way that is, that involves like indulging or, or sitting in a bathtub, which is totally fine. Um, <laughs> if I had one, I would do that. This Instead seems of more, like, yeah, this seems more like long-term minded maintenance as, uh, yeah, like you said, as opposed to quick fixes. Exactly. It's like setting you up for lifelong, healthier processing. Can you name a specific moment during the pandemic where self-parenting parenting really helped you or got you through something? So 
I feel like what was common for everyone while quarantining was sudden bouts of insomnia. Um, yeah. Nah, yeah. Because we're not as active anymore. Your brain isn't as stimulated by going different places and seeing different people. And mm-hmm. also like being on tea has given me a lot more energy. So if mm. I'm, that's Is where, that a common like, reaction or sort of result, I guess? For the most part, yes. It's Got really it. hard to gauge like common because it affects everyone's bodies like so differently there's there's genetics play into it the way your body reacts to hormones at all plays into it so but because of that like I would have days where I just wouldn't sleep at all during the night my mind would race um, because I had no idea if I was gonna have full-time employment um I uh, didn't know what was going to happen with my apartment situation. Money was terrifying because I had no income over the summer. And when I wouldn't sleep at all overnight, like it would send my whole body into a panic. Just hearing or feeling how my subconscious played into quelling that panic. It didn't ever tell me, stop, you can't panic. It was more like, yes, I know you're scared, but I love you and it's going to be okay. And let's get you outside and let's get your favorite food in you. Like, let's pay attention to all the good things you've done for yourself today. Because there was one morning, uh, it was one of those bright summer mornings where 8am looks like noon, it's so sunny out. Um, And Mm -hmm. I opened my shades and I looked out and saw that because I love the sunrise. I love mornings. It's my favorite time of day. Me too. I'm very much a morning person. You're definitely a teacher then. (laughs) (laughs) And I noticed that it was like starting to get a little bit brighter in my room. So I peeled my shades open and it was so beautiful outside that I grabbed my phone and I pulled up the spiritual, oh my Lord, what a morning and listened (laughs) to that and just looked outside. Wow. Yeah. My uh, brain, even though like I was trying to quell the panic, it still felt like everything in my head was shouting at me. So I just ushered myself out of my parents' house, drove to my apartment and to my where my marimba was. And I practiced and just sat on the couch and wrote some poetry. And that's when I point, I was still pretty upset. And I was, that's when my brain was like, but do you remember when you saw how pretty the sunrise was and you got to play your marimba and you got to, you know, drive to your apartment? I feel like just in telling your story, you're offering listeners so many ideas for various coping mechanisms. A lot of my episodes on this show so far have really recommended and hyped up therapy as one option. And that's really valid. I love therapy. You love therapy. But there, you know, mental health is not isolated to seeing a therapist. There's so many different other avenues that we can seek to feel relief or feel good, you know? And so exactly. your, your story is really offering that a lot. And I, I appreciate that. You know, my dream is to help, you know, if anyone is in that place or is so stuck and doesn't know how to help their mental perception of themselves like I mean you don't need to start tea to feel better (laughs) was self-parenting a concept you were aware of before you started transitioning I don't think so I think it all it's hard to remember what my mind was like day to day like before transitioning especially this far along now I'm kind of just like still in the middle of it and moving forward if that makes sense yeah But I do remember like long-term, like the bigger feelings I used to have. And when I'm uh, met with the same moment where I can see how I used to react versus how my body 
involuntary response now it's the difference is night and day and it's astounding and it makes me so fucking grateful every Mm -hmm. day (laughs) because one thing that I had to deal with the loss of like last winter was realizing how transphobic JK Rowling is yeah Um, which as a Harry that was like losing a family member that was devastating right I appreciate you saying this because I feel like it's easy to chalk celebrities saying ignorant, hateful things up, just chalking up to like, oh, fuck them. They're just some like rich, wealthy person. Fuck them. But yeah, (laughs) their words, not like their words have impact and deep meaning. And it did for you. Yeah, it really. And it happened right before Christmas, which sucked because I had a bunch of Harry Potter gifts coming. Right. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You were fully grieving like a very dynamic part of your life. Wow. That's so interesting. Uh, So where would you say, where would you say your mental health is at these days? These days it's more so in my hands, like the way that my body was kind of perceiving all the changes and being able to like really step up for myself when they were brand new I was completely immersed in them. It was sort of like, um, I don't know if you knew the show Smallville. I loved that show because I both loved Tom Welling and wanted to be Tom Welling. (laughs) Was he the Superman? He was very hot. Oh, yeah. Very hot. Yes. I both wanted him and wanted to be him. I'm like, Uh that's that's a headspace to be in. Whenever he would get his new powers, it was all his body could do. And he was completely immersed in it. And then later, after they got past that, he would be able to call them up and control them. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Like, I'll be looking for where's that automatic, you know, self-love thing. And I'm like, wait, I'm in a place where I can control it. It's not just going to be there Mm. underneath the surface anymore. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm more, it's like a, it's a positive space to be in because I'm in control. I'm glad to hear you're in a better place than maybe you were six months ago. Absolutely. There was also kind of a really tough relationship that I'd had. That was also where I first noticed how different my mental health and um, self-parenting really is because it stepped up a lot for that as well. Okay. So yeah, so this person, it was funny when they met me because they saw me as a guy right away. And when I introduced myself with she, her pronouns, they were like, that's not right, but we're going to let him figure that out. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And I learned the hard way because what happens with trans people is there's different ways that we can be idolized and fetishized. Trigger warning for anybody listening is that's that's extremely dangerous, like for trans folks, especially trans women, um, especially black trans women. I don't know if you watch the show Pose. I loved it. I I fucking worshipped that show. It's so heavy, though. I warn people, especially each episode weighs a ton. But I mean, the experience that I had with that, unfortunately, like very hard type of thing is that this ex of mine, I thought that they were supportive of my transition. I thought I learned, unfortunately, the hard way that they liked me mainly because I identified as a boy, but still had a high voice, a soft face and a menstrual Mm. period and Mm -hmm. all the femme qualities Mm -hmm. they liked they fetishized that and they really um that's very problematic because of that yeah it's terrifying because they didn't realize because I was really mood swingy before I started hormones because I was just so uncomfortable like I would have headaches all the time 
it was bad because of those mood swings. They were like, they told me at one point when I was trying to start tea that I wouldn't be able to handle, they thought I was going to be really mood swingy with injecting tea. And they told me that I wasn't mature enough to start tea, basically, which is the very thing that is saving my life. Your your ex said that? Yes. Okay, got it. Um, I've learned that during the pandemic, the kind of people I'm choosing to surround myself with now looking at life ahead. But yeah, I mean, you were also in a relationship with this person and it's just complicated. It's messy. It was a lot in a very short period of time. We joked that we shoved like three months of dating into two weeks and then the whole thing lasted six months total. Oh, okay. In the first three months, it would basically, it was okay until it wasn't. Right. But I, and I didn't realize how bad it was because the first two months were so much goddamn fun until I started my stuff. And I was like, why am I crying on the way to work every day? <laughs> God. And uh, on top of coming out mid-year to a principal that wouldn't let me have my pronouns yet at work, coming yeah, home to that, a partner that was- That sounds like a sane. nightmare. Yeah. Like his logic was- wait until next like the following school year um and I was like you think I'm gonna be back next year (laughs) which that's so infuriating too because literally through your lived experience you were offering these young kids like an early life intervention or example to understand trans culture and like the life experience of being trans like you know you could it would have been like possibly a really great learning opportunity for your students and this stupid yeah. principal shut it down because he, he was it a he didn't understand yeah yeah and the worst part is that a lot of the staff and admin there were lgbt Interesting. which was ridiculous yeah yeah so how did this relationship <laughs> finally come to a close we basically just got super distant in the last three months of it. And finally, they just showed up at my apartment with all my stuff and they were like, we need to talk. And what was cool about that conversation is that because we talked about how they responded to my starting to transition, they were able to admit in that moment that all of that negativity in that time period might have been more from them than it was from what I was doing. Mm. The beautiful thing with quarantine is I was really able to dig into those feelings too and process the trauma that and how deep under my skin that ex of mine had gotten with all the little ways they would bully and just talk me down. And right, right. I'm still dealing with that now. Whenever those experiences trigger you, what I found to be so important in in those moments is figuring out how to catch yourself and forgive yourself for those experiences. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it's okay to literally hold yourself and be like, I know that was hard. It's okay. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Absolutely. This is kind of huge, but (laughs) if you could give one piece of advice to someone about to enter, about to start, let's say, Uh, HRT, hormone replacement therapy. Sure. What's one piece of advice you would give them that would protect or support their mental health? Hmm. There, there are so many ways that question can go (laughs) and it, which is a good thing. Um, You mean because experiences are so diverse? Absolutely. And because there are people that go on it and realize that it doesn't work for them. 
Um, And there are other people that go on it and have no idea how they were living in their bodies before. Um, But I guess my biggest piece of advice is to give yourself the space to experience what your body is about to go through Mm. uh, without judgment and without uh, with patience also people on tea I tell them take a picture every week because even if you don't see changes they're happening (laughs) thank you Jamie thank you so much for coming on the show absolutely thank you for having me this was a lot of fun this was great for the listeners just know that I'll have edited this conversation down to about 30, 35 minutes, but we have talked now for about an hour and 15. (laughs) Yeah. Depressed and Shit was recorded in a real live bedroom in Los Angeles, California. Music by Eric England, logo designed by Carrie Weiss, produced and hosted by Real Honest Batch, Liamata. Do you have reactions to today's episode? Do you have an experience with mental health you'd like to share? Or are you the baby angel from the heavens that wants to donate to cover administrative costs and all that fun shit? Email us at depressedandshitpodcast at gmail.com. No asterisk here, folks. That's just the logo. Shit is spelled S-H-I-T. Bye-bye. To repeat, depressedandshitpodcast at gmail.com. See you next Wednesday. 